This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written by Black writers from all over the world. And today I'm here with Khalif Aziz, author of Mitochondrial Assimilation. How are you today, Khalif Aziz? I'm good. I'm I'm doing very good. Thanks for asking. Excellent. Excellent. And I know that you guys can't see this um, who are listening right now, but Khalif Aziz has an amazing hat and bow tie. Oh, thank (laughs) you. um, Actually, you know, are you okay if I like screenshot this? So, you know, when I promote this. That we can... Okay, but like, let me make sure you, let me make sure you get the ankh too. It's like my whole thing. Oh, oh yeah. You got like a whole setup here. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to take a screenshot. So that way all you wonderful listeners out there can see, yes, see this lovely outfit. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So let's get started. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this particular story? Right. So what inspired me is, you know, the that little adage we all learn in school, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, the mitochondria is the yeah. powerhouse of the cell. And I remember yes. hearing about this, um, this idea, the speculation that the presence of the mitochondria in modern day plant animal cells represents um, a symbiotic relationship from way, way in the you know, early in the, in the early uh, days of like single-celled organisms, one organism absorbed another, and they sort of just uh, became one, and that's why the mitochondria has a different DNA. Now, I remember hearing mm-hmm. that and thinking, um, number one, like, wow, I have no idea what any of this means, <laughs> but also specifically, but I wonder, what does the mitochondria get out of this? Because I have like this very animistic like view of the world especially things in nature you know and so I and so it's a little bit like personification but like I legit part of my belief structure is that thing is that non-human things non-sentient things still have some sort of will per se you know so Mm -hmm. I thought okay so what does the mitochondria get out of this and I just thought about that for a minute about how the mitochondria just is the powerhouse of the cell and (laughs) I wonder okay why does the mitochondria care if we're if we're healthy and happy and so from there I just started writing some lines in my journal just in this very creepy welcome to night veil like tone um Mm -hmm. about the mitochondria being some being part of some sentient hive mind and from there 
I kind of left the story alone for a minute. You know, I left the concept alone. It wasn't fully developed. I just said, eh, this isn't really anything and just moved on to other stuff. Then there was this contest um, for Black writers to make Lovecraftian horror stories uh, set in, um, they were supposed to be set in historic moments for, uh, historic moments uh, for the Black community. And so while scratching my brain trying to figure out a story for this, I thought back to this vague notion I had about the mitochondria having some sinister design for humanity. And yeah. I thought, yo, I think I have something here. And so- You do. <laughs> yeah. And so I just start, and so at the same time, I was thinking about Americanness and how mm -hmm. America is operate, how the belief structure of America it operates almost like the boot. It's like, uh, I can't find the exact words for, but it's very religious almost. This idea that, uh, it, it, like <clears throat> the idea that to be American is to be Christian, that there are certain figures in American history, George Washington, but also Martin Luther King, who sort of represent almost like, are, are almost like messiahs, like they are true inheritors of the, of this concept of Americanism, patriotism, freedom. And so I thought, okay, how can I make it scary? <laughs> and so I, I thought about that. I was thinking about the idea of colonization and, and of course assimilation, the way that we as people and also as communities change ourselves in order to better fit into the new societies and new systems that we find ourselves in. And lastly, I was just thinking about how, you know, when Black people got beat, were freed from slavery, that there, there was some cost there, you know, there, there was some stuff that we gained. There was definitely, with, for every gain that Black people have had in America, there's also been something that we've lost. Example, the civil, you know, civil rights movement, uh, we gained the right, we gained uh, protections and employment, we gained um, the ability to go, the ability to go to well, to the schools of our choice, but um, we've all we also lost some of the economic systems that we created to sustain ourselves during segregation, mm -hmm. and um, what's and so with slave uh, with the end of slavery, we gained the American identity, but um, that also came with. I won't say it caused the loss of African identity because it's more complex than that. But I, but there's definitely there was definitely there's definitely certain parts of there was definitely certain parts of African identity that we were able to retain during slavery that we eventually lost, be it religion, storytelling, art forms. The the longer we, the more we got from the point of slavery, the more we that sort of changed in how we expressed our identities, and so. Long story short, I just had all these thoughts running through my head, and I just started writing this story about what if the mitochondria what had a sinister design for humanity, and a part of that sinister design affected Black people in this very, in this way that was very unique to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, like, that's what sold me on this story. So, you know, for me with Nightlight, one of the things that I really try to do is 
showcase stories that aren't about slavery because a lot of people have this impression that black people could only write about black pain, black, you know, slavery, segregation, things like that. So it's kind of a tough sell for me if a story, you know, is, you know, very clearly about slavery or, you know, segregation. Um, But this was such a unique twist that I was like, you know, this, like, this is how you do this kind of story you know, to show that Black people are more dimensional than just writing about Black pain and, you know, the painful parts of Black history. So, I mean, honestly, like, first of all, like, I'm a science nerd, (laughs) you know, like, so for me, you know, the title, like, as soon as I saw the title, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I started to read it. And then I was, you know, at first I was like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, this is kind of, you know, going into, you know, slavery territory, but then like, you know, there, there was this moment when it clicked for me that, you know, that, that a, the mitochondria was a character basically in the story. And then I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, you know, I've seen like, you know, haunted houses be characters of stories, but I've never seen like a component of a cell <laughs> be okay. a character of a story. So that's what sold me on this. It's such a unique perspective and a unique way of, looking at a story um and you know I, I think you did it successfully obviously oh, thank you. Why I wouldn't have you know, had the story on there but I do wonder like how you know you had so you had your premise um that you wanted to sort of explore this idea of like you know what if the mitochondria was sentient and sinister um how did you decide on the ending for the story and it's okay if you spoil it because we you know we okay, yeah. air this after the story is already aired so if you haven't listened if you're listening now and you have not listened to the story there's probably going to be a spoiler here. Go back, listen to the story, and then come back to the interview. So for the ending, um, so I knew that I wanted, so I will say um, before I get, like, I did intend, I, there was an inkling I had at a certain point to make the story bigger than what uh, fine would print, you know? Um, and part of that was exploring what exactly is, what is the mitochondria's plan with Black Americans? And part of that we would have seen like maybe some of the more controversial parts of Black history, um, you know, be explained by, oh, oh, that's because that's what the, which it's not truly the mitochondria, you know, like, because um, like in the story I have the narrator describe how the um, slime sort of remove the mitochondria, it became a new mitochondria for him. And so it's that thing that God, um, that's, it, it's, it's that, you know, like dark, scary God, that is what's driving, um, so that's what's driving um, Black people to maybe get involved with, uh, for example, exposed, uh, driving Native Americans off their land during the Trail of Tears, et cetera. And so, I can't, and so I came to that because I really wanted to look at. Uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to really wrap into words, um, but I want to look at this. I I want to look at we get that we when we gain privileges, we kind of what are we gaining privileges in? You know, what kind of system are we gaining privileges in? Do we necessarily want those privileges? And when we gain those privileges, are, or is that being equally given to everyone you know and the answer of course is not so for right. so for the very end, the very last line none of them spoke to me that's a line that some of my friends didn't really get you know 
And that's me pointing out that like, even though the narrator did the exact same initiation as them, even though the narrator will still be, will still be serving this, uh, this like slimy goo uh, for the rest <laughs> of his life, just as they are, even though, even though now it's in his body, it's going to be spread on to any biological children he has, you know, and so on and so forth, that he's still not one of them because now they know that he's gay. They know he's gay. He's not one of them. And so he knew that would happen. He knew that was going to happen. Uh, I, there's a line where I, I think this was in the final story. I don't know if this was an earlier draft where he says that he doesn't truly believe that there is such a thing as freedom for him or Black men mm -hmm. like him. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he's proven right, you know? Right. Like his freedom is the fact that he can go off, live with, um, live with, you know, his boyfriend and be somewhat happy, but he always has to know that he's not true, he he's not truly an American because America has no room for him. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that still exists today. Yeah, for, exactly. You know, a lot of people, you know not just black people and not just right. gay people, but you know, it's, you know, it's seen as very un-American to be anything but white and Christian in a lot of communities. Um, what made you decide to make your main character, um, the narrator, a gay black man? I, so yeah, I was thinking about um, how to, I was thinking, you know, thinking on the same principle, how do I demonstrate that, yes, um, and like the end of slavery was good for him. It was decidedly good for him, but he's still suffering. He's specifically still suffering in a way that sets him apart from the black community. And I kept thinking, how do I demonstrate that? And then it, and then, you know, it seemed obvious, like, hey, maybe he's gay. Like, that's the reason. But at the same time, uh, I didn't want to say that Honestly, there is no real reason main characters gay. That just happens with me sometimes. <laughs> I just accidentally write a character and I'm like, there's no way this character is straight. This makes no right. sense. Yeah, yeah. They're speaking to you, so you know, right. like, you know how they want to be. I mean, yeah. I, I think it was an excellent choice for the story. Um, you know, I don't I don't think the story would have landed nearly as well. Right. Um, you know, with a straight um character as the narrator. Um but, you know, it, one thing I do find really interesting um, and I'd like to get your perspective on is, you know, especially in the black community, I'm not, I'm not male, you know, right. obviously um, I am not gay. So I don't know what it's like to be a gay black man, but I do know that, you know, based on the people that I grew up with, that it's very looked down upon to be right. gay, a gay black male, you know, there, there's something you know, yes, you know, white men look at gay white men, you know, in the same sort of way, you know, looking down on them, but I feel like it's a completely different story for gay black men, you know, it's, it's a big deal to come out um, as a gay black male in the world today, you know, and you're thinking, you know, you're writing this story, you know, set, you know, in times of, you know, slavery, you know, late 1800s, and, you know, I can't even imagine <laughs> how right. bad it would have been it would have been then. And I think, you know, that's another horrifying element to this story is that extra dimension of suffering that the narrator endures because of who they are. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you did an amazing job um, choosing your characters and choosing your setting, you know, it just, it just all works 
really, really well. And, you know, especially like, you know, now since I've talked to you about the story, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like to do these interviews, because there's so much that, you know, when you're reading the story, you don't necessarily realize that this is what the author was thinking about. But, you know, speaking to you, you know, it's very clear that you think about writing in a very intellectual way, at least for this story. Um, so I'm interested to know, like, what your writing process is. Are all of your stories this intellectual, or is it just this particular one that you kind of went down that path? Um, most of my stories are intellectual, I would definitely say. Um, example, the book I'm working on, that combined, that's a very fantasy-heavy book, uh, and I actually use, like, some of the arguments that I was well, not arguments, but like some of the views I was that was being shaped while I was doing my some anthropological research into crafting this magical system. Mm-hmm. Like I love, like that's why I like writing. I like, I've always been the person that likes observing people. You know, I was never that it was never easy for me to fit in with people. So I just learned at a young age how to just observe people, observe situations, and just notice things like that yeah and so a lot of my stories yeah they do take on this very intellectual route um almost black trauma lies at the heart of almost all of them but I try to really dive really really deep into it you know I try to Mm -hmm. uh get into I try and and there's the concept of you know afro-surrealism I would see myself as an afro-surrealist writer I try to really look at not only how how is this traumatic but also how does this fundamentally alter how we view reality you know mm-hmm. you know and so um yeah like this is just this is just the thing for me yeah like yeah. all my all my work does is even when I'm trying to write a, a fun story you know it's <laughs> it's layered you know I look at right. oh look, let's look at pop culture let's look at um uh, let's look at pop culture let's look at history let's look at mythology you know mm-hmm. and it winds up being something that I zoom out of and I'm like did I actually write this, this <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say it seems too good because you know I'm not trying to sound egotistical I'm like right. no no I, I didn't write this no yeah Well, I mean, I think that, um, I think that that's what sets, you know, at least the story for me, I haven't read anything else of yours, but that's what sets this story apart is, you know, like I said, there's, there's a whole lot of writing out there, you know, especially for film, you know, a lot of film out there that, you know, it seems that black trauma is the star of the story. Um, And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just feel like, that's kind of what black writers are pigeonholed into doing, you know, like we want to write a story about, you know, black trauma or slavery or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's like Hollywood feels like we don't have other stories we can tell, you know, or at least before Jordan Peele, I think, you know, that's changed in recent years, obviously, but I think that that's still in a way pretty specific to him, Um, you know, because there's other, you know, shows and things that are coming out like Lovecraft Country, Right. You know, it was definitely about, you know, segregation and, you know, the pain and the trauma of that. But, you know, there was a twist on it that, you know, made it interesting. And I, I see this as something that falls along those same lines, you know, so I was really happy to hear you earlier say that you were kind of like taking on, you know, Lovecraft mythology with this and combining it with this intellectual pursuit that you were doing. Um, I think, you know, and this is just my opinion, <laughs> but, you know, I think that's 
that's the best way to explore this kind of story because I feel like these stories that are just you know oh black people were slaves and you know the slave escaped yay everybody's happy you know those stories have been done a hundred times you know they're not they're not that interesting to me right anymore um but stories like this (laughs) you know definitely are because they explore something a little bit deeper than just someone struggling through the trauma of slavery or segregation or you know whatever the case might be um so tell me a little bit about your writing process you said for this that you just kind of wrote like a line or two in a journal and then it kind of came from that is that your typical process um no I have a very um we'll say varied process which is to (laughs) say you know sometimes um I sometimes I'm able to plan out a story and you know beginning middle end whole book to list every character planned out and I go to write it and it does not it does not become that at all (laughs) I do the Um, same thing (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very hard for me to stay structured with the story. Um, this version of mitochondrial assimilation is not the only version. Um, the version I wrote for the contest was much shorter. Uh, for one, it was a much shorter one. I actually was able to, I was actually able to post it as a series of like little, uh, like little graphics on my Instagram. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and. The, yeah, this, but this version um, that, you know, the, the longer version, um, this is actually a combination of the version for the contest and like four different uh, rough drafts that I came up with and then stopped because they were all too long. <laughs> I tend to go overboard. I tend to go into too much detail. I tend to type with my eyes closed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, there ha- and so sometimes you know I get I get a story out and it and I look at it, I'm like oh this is good you know one draft perfect well, not perfect but you know right. more or less you know no major edits this story though this one needed a lot of edits I had to really go through perform like I basically performed surgery on the story trying yeah. to get it just right yeah. yeah well I mean you're exploring a really complex topic here I, you know I mean it's more than one topic you know there's a lot of complexity to this story so it's not surprising that you know, you did have to do that surgery on it to make sure that you communicated what you were trying to communicate right. with the story. So let's talk about Black horror in general. Yeah. Um, what, you know, if somebody was new to Black horror, you know, they hadn't read um, any books by Black writers that were horror or watched any films directed or written by Black um, filmmakers, where would you suggest that people begin? Oh, where would I suggest that people begin? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. Um, it is, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good, there's a lot of really good stuff out, there's a lot of really good uh, stuff out there, you know. Um, where I began was um, this old Negro folk tale called, and I don't know if this is the actual name, I know this was the name in the uh, collection of old Negro folk tales that I was reading. It was called, I think, um, Better Wait Till Martin Comes. And it's a story about this man who crashes his car, winds up at this haunt, winds up at this house, uh, trying to take refuge from the weather. And these talking cats keep coming into the uh, house, staring at him menacingly 
and then saying and then saying to each other, better wait till Martin comes. And each cat that comes is bigger than the other. And oh, wow. it just terrifies the guy. And so finally he just decides to just take his chances and leave the house. And <laughs> I was like nine or 10 years old when I first came across the story. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to write black horror stories. I know I want to be a writer, but I knew I really like I know I want to write black horror stories. And I kind of I kind of tucked that away to the side for years and didn't think about it again. But like it was always in the back of my head, you know? And yeah. then um as I got older, you know, um I did, you know, I rediscovered Eve's Bayou, which I had been watching since I was four. Yeah, I know that's not a movie for a four-year-old, but that was <laughs> my favorite movies growing up. It's um, such a good movie, though. It's an it's amazing movie. movie. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. And even though it's not necessarily horror, you know, it's a very dark um, and spooky yeah. story. Yeah. Um, there was another called There was another called The Piano Lesson, which was a it it was a, a black trauma slavery movie, but it was a very unique one about this piano and a, a piano that was in this family for multiple generations. And throughout the story, we never get any confirmation if the piano is truly haunted or not, but mm. we see the effects that this piano and the debate over whether to sell it or to keep it has on this family. And it was just such, it was character driven and the descriptions of how the piano came into their family and the um, paranormal interactions that they'd had with it just like enchanted me growing up. So yeah, like yeah. it's a it's a lot of stuff like that. But like as to more modern, like true horror stuff, Get Out was literally the first horror movie that actually scared me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I was shaking during Get Out. Did you watch was, it in the theater? I watched it in the theater. I watched it yeah. in the theater with a bunch of my friends from college, and I was shaking during Get Out. Yeah. Um as for and then um, as for more recent stuff, I just re recently heard the audiobook for the taking of Jake Livingston, which is honestly a pretty good story. Yeah, it's a story about this young, uh, this young black boy, only black kid out of school, who has the ability to see ghosts, and the ghost of a school shooter starts harassing him. Oh, yeah, and um oh what else oh and because and this are and so you know I, I think I've established already that like black folklore is a big part of what you know got me interested in horror I came mm -hmm. across one uh this one comic called Tales of Hoodoo Horror um by Ooh. this artist Malcolm Johnson and he's an artist that I actually got to know um and have worked with and this and when I read this comic, it was it was amazing. Uh, it you it takes it takes elements of uh, black of black folklore like like uh, mojo bags and turns it into this very captivating um, horror tale that you know embodies the pulp comic era storytelling medium. You know, it's a very is it is it entirely accurate? No, but it's a very good story. It's very it's a very good story that while reading it, I really felt like I had picked this comic up at for 10 cents from a newsstand back in the 
pretties, you know, it's a yeah. fantastically written tale. Yeah. Oh, okay. so those are all just, yeah, like, and I'm sorry for such a long list, but those are all. Oh, no, this just, is great. Like, I was yeah. actually going to say that, like, you know, normally I hear the same types of um, movies and books, you know, and authors over and over again. And no one has been able to list so many things that I am completely unaware of. So I'm actually really excited. Oh, and there is one more things. I want to mention. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, this one, some people, so as I said before, I feel very aligned with the concepts of Afro surrealism, you know, really not just looking at, you know, um, Black identity, Black issues, Black trauma, and thinking, and, and thinking, oh, this is scary, this is messed up, but like actually thinking, how does this shape the way we look at the world? And Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man, it's not a horror story, but it has, so I was work. so a, a story that I was working on for, I was working on a Batman fan fiction before I even read Invisible Man. I came yeah. up with a character named Minstrel, um, and yeah, it's a it's a very long story behind Minstrel. But as I was reading Invisible Man, I was I was stumbling on the same ideas, the same philosophies that I had while developing Minstrel um, in Invisible Man. You know, really looking at this idea of I like how Invisible Man really explores how um, racism isn't just traumatizing, it can literally drive you insane. We yeah. actually see the narrator become insane, but we, but he's not truly, he's not really becoming insane. That's the thing. He's not becoming insane. It's just he's seeing that the world was always insane and being aware of that makes him look insane to everyone else. Right. And, yeah. and I, I love that. And uh, it definitely, so it wasn't necessarily like, it wasn't necessarily the like a huge influencer of my uh you know of my style of the way I look at or of the way I look at horror and those stories that I write, but it definitely did have influence on me and like I really connect with that and I think that I think that is surprisingly a very good uh, book that I would recommend to anyone trying to get into black horror. Like if you want to get into black horror, if you want to look, then I would say Invisible Man because Invisible Man will show you how the black experience yes it's traumatizing but specifically it all it shows you how being aware of the world just completely reframes it, it completely changes the way you look at everything it, and in yeah. so doing it basically changes reality itself yeah that's a, that's a really interesting take on that that's that's amazing I, I'm gonna have to sit down and think about that after we get off of the call <laughs> All right, so let's tell our listeners where they can find more of your work, how we can support you as a writer. Okay, so, um, well, listeners can follow me on my Instagram for updates about um, upcoming products I have coming out. I have my Batman fan fiction, A Maroon and Midnight Blue, um, which is about the Joker's adoptive nephew, who is a, who is a young Black boy who use it, well, he's not, he's not super young, he's a young Black man, I should say, who uses um, Blackface aesthetics um, to sort of recapture the Joker's theme. But instead of, instead of doing, you know, random crimes like Joker, he actually does, he, he does 
he his crimes are retaliatory in nature. They are commentaries on racism in Gotham City. And, and that's a and that's a story that I've been working on for fun, but it's a passion project of mine. Um, I also have I'm working on a book. Um, I'm I'm really working on a book. I'm trying to finish it um, <laughs> about a group of uh, children at a magical school for Black people. Um, that's a story I'm working on. And updates will be posted to my Instagram at Kalifaziz42. And as for people who just want to read um, Maroon and Midnight Blue or Mama Greylocks or some of the other uh, stories that I have right now, um, I am on, I'm set up on afrovana.net. Um, for those of you who don't know, Afrovana is this new uh, online platform for Black writers and comic book creators. And my entire library is up there. That's my horror stories, my superhero stories, uh, my, my fanfics, all of it is up there and ready to be read. Awesome. Amazing. That that I'm so excited. I had not heard of this Afrovana. Oh yeah. Afro, so yeah. Yeah. Afrovana.net. A-F-R-O-V-A-N-A.net. Yeah, definitely right. check it out. Awesome. So we'll put a link to your Instagram and to Afrovana in the show notes, um, as well as have a list of the works that you recommended. Um, for folks to watch or read. Is there anything else that we can do so to support you right now? Uh, anything else you can, no, no, that's just, honestly, this is just it, you know, like I, you know, I've been following this podcast for a while and I was like, oh man, I want to be on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm just glad, you know, to post my story and I really legitimately hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah, yeah, and thank you for submitting the story. You know, I say this all the time, um, to people don't self-reject you know there are so many I know that there are so many good stories out there that people are just afraid to send because they're afraid of the rejection and you know yeah right. a lot of stories you know the majority of stories do get right, rejected yeah. but all it takes is that one acceptance for your work to be out there in the world yeah. um, so thank you so much for sharing your story with us and thank you so much yeah. for sharing the, your thinking behind this story, you know, like I knew that this was an intellectual story, but like the depth of it, I didn't necessarily realize until having this conversation with you. So thank you for sharing thank all you. of these details. Um, thanks for joining us uh, today. And I hope that you have an excellent day. Thank you. I hope you have an excellent day too. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.